Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, where we get to talk horses. We're your hosts. I'm John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. Thanks for listening and sharing our horsemanship journey. On today's show, we have a special guest because it's very close to Veterans Day and we wanted to do something to show our appreciation to veterans. We have author Lindsay McKenna on the show. And she's done a great job with some novels that she's written intertwining interesting horse experiences with veterans and typically veterans with some post-traumatic stress disorder or amputation but really focuses on how these veterans get back and get better. And Lindsay's a best-selling author. She's written over 200 books. She released Wrangler's Challenge, part of the Wind River Valley series, on October 31st, 2017. Coinciding with the release of Wrangler's Challenge and Veterans Day, we invited her on the show, and we really appreciate her spending some time with us to talk about veterans and horses. Here's Lindsay McKenna on the Woe Podcast. On today's show, we're talking with author Lindsay McKenna, and we wanted to have her on the show closest to Veterans Day because as a novelist, Lindsay deals with veterans and veterans issues and post-traumatic issues. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Hi, John and Renee. Thank you for having me, and, and it's a delight to be here, and it's an honor to be doing this uh, on Veterans Day since I am a vet myself and so is my husband and I've devoted my life to veterans issues. So thank you for having me. That is great. Tell us a little bit about your military background. It comes through my family, my family on both sides, uh, mother and father. uh, On my father's side, it goes all the way back past World War One, and most of his people, his, his relatives either went into the army or in the Navy, and my father went into the Navy, and he served uh, during World War II. He got blown off uh, the USS Fletcher in in the, the Pacific, and uh, he was in a gun turret, and he was the only one that lived. The other two guys died, and the wow. ship sank and everything, and uh, he ended up with a lot of... A lot of issues. Uh, he had shrapnel from his neck down to his his uh, calves, literally, wow. and it also blew a part of his skull off. So he he managed to live, which was the good news. But what happened was is they had to put uh, something, you know, a, a metal plate over over his skull that got torn off. And of course, you know, when we hear things like that nowadays, we're far more educated and knowledgeable about you know, the trauma of war, you know, the PTSD. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a child growing up, when he did survive and he came home, he he had a lot of what I would call personality and character changes. And, of course, if you have a piece of your skull blown off, you know, first of all, we know nowadays that you get uh, trauma, head trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. So I kind of grew up in a PTSD home, quite literally. But, you know, at that time, you know, as a kid, you don't know that. Uh, You only know that your father has these sudden bouts of rage, almost a killing rage, and you don't know why, what set him off or anything. I'm sure that I came into this life to understand post-traumatic stress disorder and to understand what, what it's like in a family to live with someone who has it. And 
that kind of brings the foundation of it. And then later on, you know, I wanted to continue our family uh, history on my father's side, and I went into the U.S. Navy also. On my mother's side, uh, my uncle was a World War II paratrooper and actually uh, jumped over France on D-Day. And luckily, he lived, and he had he has great stories and everything like that. So, you know, we have a military background of serving our country and knowing that freedom is not free. And so I come from that, that area. The PTSD I got because of my father's wounding during World War II. But again, I just really didn't realize that. I thought I had a normal family. <laughs> I was far from it. And then there were days, uh, there was actually nights when I went to bed that I wondered if I was going to be alive when to see the next dawn. It was that that crucial, that critical, that threatening sometimes. Did you use writing as a way of kind of working through the issues? Well, John, I didn't really, you know, I thought my my father was normal, uh-huh. you know, as a child. I mean, just just stop and think about this. I mean, you grow up for 18 years and you're branded and, and you're absorbed into whoever's reality you're living with, i.e. Mm-hmm. your parents. And that's all you know. My father, because of the PTSD, and and this is where I have a a far greater uh, scope on it because of my own personal experience, that my father couldn't stand being around anybody. He he was a loner. He didn't let us go into any of the school clubs or anything like that. He wouldn't let us go for sleepovers and things like that. So we were very isolated because he was isolated. But again... We thought nothing of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we thought this was normal. And it was only after age 18 that that I got out and started seeing things differently. And I went, whoa, this <laughs> is way different. <laughs> so it, it took me probably about 20 years to, to really get right with it. And then about that time, PTSD was coined. And when I was reading uh, all of the symptoms, though, I went, my gosh, there's my dad. <laughs> that's him <laughs> later on you know maybe another 10 years down the line they started realizing well gee the the person who has the ptsd you know the whole family gets it because you know they live in it 24 hours a day and and so i began putting that together but john to answer your question about writing i started writing when i was uh, 13 it really wasn't an escape <laughs> it was just something that gave me happiness because I could go lose myself in stories that I created that had happy endings. And mm-hmm. in our household, there wasn't too much happiness around at any given mm-hmm. time. And uh, But again, I did not know that. But the stories fed me. They, they gave me hope. Uh, I didn't realize uh, that I was depressed during childhood because of the father's issues. And I've never blamed him for him because when you have traumatic brain injury, depending upon where it happens, and I used to be an emergency medical technician and a firefighter, so I know quite a bit about the medical side of this. And looking back on my father's uh, issues with losing a, a piece of his skull plate, okay, he had traumatic brain injury. And mm-hmm. and when you go into looking at the symptoms of it in the history of, of TBIs, uh, there was my father. So, you know, I have a great background to to put this information out there to to my readers, to people who have somebody that does have PTSD. And over the years, um, I've, I've gotten thousands of letters understanding that I've been in this business since 1980. 
that my book has in some way elaborated or enlightened or helped somebody in some way. And it's been very healing for them or it's been their epiphany or their aha moment that helps them. It, it triggers something positive or a deeper awareness in them as a result of that. In Wrangler's Challenge, I, I found it sort of interesting that one of your main characters, she had that same similar childhood as well as being an amputee. So right. You sort of gave her two different issues to deal with. Yeah, well, you know, writers can't write outside themselves. And mm -hmm. I write from what I know. And I never try to wander into something that I don't know. Because I feel that you can have a depth and a quality to it. And you can give it a life or it's it's breathing on its own when you can, can pull from your own past and, you know, weave it in there. Mm -hmm. But with the heroine, Dara Wilson, uh, yeah, she had a, a father who was abusive. You know, there's a lot of people that come out of abusive households. And I don't know, maybe maybe I attract them, but I get an awful <laughs> lot of readers over the years who have come from similar households. And it's very healing for them to read about it. And it helps them get a different look at it. Yeah, But yeah, Dara not only has an abusive household, but she also had strong women, her mother and her grandmother, who supported her and who helped her despite that. And mm -hmm. um, that that's what gave her her core strength was was the the women in her family, which I like bringing that in. Right. Now, with the PTSD and horses, the connection that has been made with how much the horses can benefit those vets with the PTSD. Why does that work so well? Well, first of all, let me say that, you know, because I'm, I'm very much into uh, PTSD and, and the different veterans groups who do, who do work with horses and vets. Uh, there's also different groups, like, for instance, I, I just saw one the other day, over in Hawaii, they, they've gathered military vets, amputees, most of them are amputees, who have had a leg uh, or two legs blown off by IEDs over in Afghanistan, who, before the, they had gone into the service, they had been, you know, surfers. Mm -hmm. And so what they've done over there is, is they've, they've pooled together a group of, of uh, men who were surfers, who are surfers, who did not go into the military, or, and some of them did, but didn't end up with being an amputee but now they're taking these guys who are either single or double amputees out and teaching them and refining some of the surfboards and they can go out and surf and what happens there and and i was listening to this article or this video on it is is that the the amputees who are now surfing who thought they never could again they just you know the words they use is is it's very calming to them it it centers them it grounds them it gives them or feeds them hope and I was very struck by that because I know that my first horse uh, pretty boy he was a two-year-old wild mustang that I got when I was 12 years old I know that when he came into my life with my crazy household mm -hmm. dysfunction in that I did see and I did recognize that when I got him whenever I was around him everything was calm everything was perfect. Everything was peaceful. And when you live with somebody that's got TBI and PTSD, there is nothing calm. There is nothing peaceful. There's always that sense of threat. And there's always that sense that you're walking on eggs and, and sure as hell, one of those eggs is going to break and then all hell is going to break loose behind it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the way I live my life. But 
having that horse when I was 12 years old, and he was wild, I bonded with him, and he he gave me something that helped, and, and I can look back on it now at the time, you know, again, a 12-year-old is, is not mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave me the calmness, the centering, the gravity. It gave, he gave me hope because I could come home. See, I hated going coming home from school every day because I would have to deal with my father's ups and downs. But by having the horse there, I look forward to coming home, getting getting whatever I had to do done, and then racing out to the barn and to the pasture to see him and to stay with him until I had to go in and eat or, you know, set the table and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the horse, at least for me, you know, again, I write what I know. I chose uh, the Wind River Valley Series, setting it in Wyoming on ranching and ranches and ranchers because that is an area I know. And, and that's an area where I can give back by creating scenes and stories and developing issues that I know that are out there and showing people that maybe a doorway or a pathway to something better. And so often, you know, I, I looked at my first horse, Pretty Boy. He he was my companion. He was my friend because you have to remember within my family, my father did not allow us to have friends. They could never come over. We could never see them. We only saw them at school. So mm-hmm. I had no one. And so the horse became a very central, positive, hopeful part of my life from that time forward. And mm-hmm. so you know, I want to take that experience and, and show people that, yeah, as bad as it can be, you know, an animal, whether you're a dog lover, a cat lover, a horse lover, doesn't matter if that animal is pure love, that animal is pure innocence, and that animal trusts you, whether you trust anybody or not, they trust you, and that trust is fed back to them. And, and in Wrangler's Challenge, Dare, the heroine, has not only issues about men, but she's also an amputee and she's mm-hmm. wrestling with that and she has PTSD on top of that. And just because you lose a limb doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get PTSD. PTSD is about trauma. Some people can handle the loss of a limb and it doesn't affect them as profoundly as it does other people. It's a fascinating thing. You know, mm-hmm. as a firefighter, we would roll on all kinds of trauma, whether it was a, a structure fire or an, an accident or a plane diving into the swamp and we have to go look for people. Trauma is defined by the person. And I I have found that different people have different levels that they can handle trauma on. Mm -hmm. And we're not all cut out of the same piece of cloth. That's, That's where I hope that with my background, I can infuse the books, give it life, but also not only say, here's the problem or here's the issue, all right, which Dare, Dare had issues with men, and yet she's put into a situation at the Bar C where she's got to live in an employee house with a man. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, what, what do you do? I mean, and this is real life. You know, just because you don't trust men doesn't mean you can have a career where there aren't any men around and, and you don't have to deal with that issue. Just the opposite happens. And so Dare learned to work with Noah, and Noah, of course, the hero, he would rather work with dogs and horses because he had PTSD too, right. <laughs> rather than deal with humans. <laughs> so, you know, bringing them together and, and throughout the book, watching them make these, these 
awarenesses and then making these changes and then realizing that, well, you know, from Dare's perspective, she finally learned to trust Noah, the hero. Right. And Noah found out that he he could confide things in, in Dare that he couldn't anybody else, but she held that trust. You know, this is about real life. This this is what happens in, in some instances. And you wove horsemanship through the whole thing as they're training horses as part of their ranch work. That's right. And anything that you see in my books that have to do with horses usually happen to me. <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask you that. Are the, the stories about the horses, they come from your own experience? Yeah. From 1980 to 1990, we had an Arabian horse farm up in Lisbon, Ohio, where we bred and fold, raised and trained and then sold you know, sold the uh, the horses. And so there, there's a lot of fun things in there with the foal because what I try oh, and do yeah. in the book is not make it so depressing or so <laughs> heavy that there isn't some lightness, that there isn't some joy, you know, and just an everyday joy. And I'm sure you've been around foals and mommies and you <laughs> see these little foals just scampering around doing crazy, crazy things. But they lift you. And so I, I wanted to have a, a broodmare whose name is Candy. She's a brood, uh, quarter horse broodmare, has a little foal named Ebony. Ebony becomes kind of the, the clown in, in the story. But, it, but it's delightful and it's true. When you get into stallions, which there's, there is a, quite a crisis scene for uh, Dare in the book with the stallion. That they never should have taken on. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, <laughs> did you notice how both of them were talking about why they did it? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's a little girl begging. Little girl. <laughs> I mean, what would you do with a little 12-year-old girl crying and saying, Daddy, don't take my horse away from him. I love him. And it's like, but this horse can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and both of them, against their better judgment, did it because each of them, especially Dare, had had losses in her life. And, and understood where the little girl was at. And so, you know, against her own better nature and, and knowledge and experience and Noah's also, they went ahead and tried to deal with this stud who mm-hmm. was just a, a mean horse. And kind of because in life you need to deal with the problems, you just can't generally avoid them. That's correct. And the more you try to avoid them, at least in my experience, the the more they come at you and the more you have to deal with them every day or with people in your life that you're not going to escape too soon. So you you might as well settle in. And I think that the people who will make mud pies out of mud, as I say, have a sense of self-awareness about them. And there's a lot of people who don't have self-awareness, but the people who are self-aware, who are sort of looking at themselves and, and looking at the, the action that they did. And this is one of the things that I do in my, my books uh, with the uh, Wind River Valley series is I want my people to be self-aware or on the edge of being self-aware and starting to look at themselves and look at what they did or said and then realize that they got X action out of somebody when they either did it or said it. And mm-hmm. That is self-awareness. That That is about being aware of more than yourself, but yourself, including the horse, the dog, the human being. And if you and if you can see that and you begin to – this is how I learned how dysfunctional I was after 18 years in that, that uh, family of mine. It helped me begin to gauge my, my actions or reactions or what I said or didn't say 
to other people and see how they, they reacted. And literally in my 20s, I watched other people who were far healthier than I was, how they handled situations, how they dealt with people, how they dealt with stress, because I didn't know how to do it. You know, when you live in the fishbowl for 18 years, you only know one way, and, and that is to survive it. And very often survival, like Dare Wilson in, in the book, Wrangler's Challenge, she's just surviving. And so Noah, even though he, he's not too keen about dealing with humans because there's a trust bridge there, Dare also starts opening up, and she starts blossoming because she's beginning to realize that there's more to life than just her survival, and she begins to realize how much of her her dysfunctional father that she's carrying with him with her that she no longer needs. And of course, you know, there's horses involved in the ranching as well as other ranching things that, you know, we all know what ranching is. Most of it is, is a lot of hard work. And maybe if you're lucky, you get to ride a horse for a while. Usually it's, right. <laughs> it's fence post mending. <laughs> <laughs> or moving hay. Or <laughs> oh, that too. And straw. And, you know, of course it doesn't go up to the second story of the barn. It has to go up to the third, you know, <laughs> and you, you're, Skin is scratchy and itchy, and you're sweaty, and yet the smells, the odors, the fragrances—you know—they're wonderful. I wish, I wish I could capture. A, mm-hmm. I wish they had a perfume called Timothy Hay, <laughs> or they had a had a perfume called Alfalfa, or they had a perfume <laughs> called Horse Smell. That would be wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> those are the the scents that I love, that fills me, that expands me, and and it makes me feel whole. I found the concept of a business that only dealt with vets with a specific issue, PTSD, just to be very fascinating. Are there really companies, businesses, ranches like that? Are you, are you writing from a place where this actually happens? It, it actually happens. There, I think if you go out and Google vets and horses or ranches, vets, and horses, uh, you'll find quite a few. They're out there, and there's getting to be more and more. And, every, you know, I mean, look, we're horse people, okay? We understand on a visceral level that horses are absolutely essential to our lives, that there's an inner reaction there, just like dog people. Dog people have this that, that same feeling, that same visceral quality of connection with that, that dog. But with horses, I'm going to put something out here, and probably most people won't believe it, and that's okay, but it's something <laughs> that I know. When you come out of a PTSD family, one of the reasons why you survive it is, is that you – uh, open up psychically and some people call it clairvoyance but being psychic means that you're really following your intuition you're really in touch with every nuance of whatever you feel or sense even though you can't see it it means your survival okay mm-hmm. so I, I have a heightened psychic sense one of the things that I found out right away with my first horse pretty boy was is that he could sense me And I started sensing him. I could feel if he was wary or fearful. He might be just standing there, but I could feel it. And then I would take the appropriate reaction to that rather than making him feel threatened. Like the little example of of being too close to the horse, especially a wild horse. You want them to come to you. You don't want to be chasing them around. And there's, there's so many instances when you're, 
making this connection with a wild Mustang where you have to know where to stop. And it's a feeling. It's an absolute feeling that washes over you. And it's not that the horse has laid his ears back or rolled his eyes or done anything. The horse is just standing there watching you. And that's where I started understanding that I had this this other tool in my toolbox of survival. Mm-hmm. I could actually use it. And I started with him, and then I transferred it to other people. Oh, very good. Well, this is where the self-awareness started right. growing within me, was is that I could sense people, and I could do it at school. But the horse, pretty boy, was such a great teacher for me in so many different ways. There are places, definitely, uh, in the United States that do this. They very often will do it for free for the vets. And a lot of times, uh, charities will do this, and they'll pay to truck the vets out to you know a certain ranch or horse horse learning site and you know take them back because they don't have the money to to do something like that but it helps ground them and it and it gives them hope and you know and the horses can feel them i mean i i remember times when there would be something going on with my father and i would come out to the barn and i would just be sobbing and pretty boy would be out in the pasture he could feel me coming and he would come in and he'd come to the barn and he'd, he'd stand there looking at me, knowing that I needed something. And so I would just go to him and, and just cry on his mane <laughs> and get it out. And he, he wouldn't move a muscle. Uh-huh. He would not move a muscle. So horses know. I think really good horse trainers have this sense, this, this psychic sense about them that they can feel the horse. I think that there's uh, lower level trainers that don't. And that's a shame because if you can, I call it talking with your horse, you're going to have a far better relationship and you'll both be happy. And, you know, it's like, for instance, pretty boy hated a bit, you know, as a snapple bit, but the, the people next door in their barn, they had a hackamore. So I put that on him and he was far happier and, and he was totally Trained with a hackamore, never, never a, a you know a bit in his mouth. Although I know that a lot of people you know who do hackamore, especially in California, they usually will will trade up to a snapple bit or something or a tom thumb later on. But there are horses out there that they don't need anything more than that hackamore. Period. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have to be in touch with them. You really do. Lindsay Wrangler's challenge is out now. Available now. Yes, it is. Uh, it came out on Halloween night. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Yes, it's out now. It is uh, book four of the Wind River Valley series. And right. uh, each book is a standalone, but you'll get to meet people that you read about in the, you know, in the earlier books. And yet it's a standalone because it's right. a story about Dare and uh, Noah and how horses intersected in their lives, both in, in good and bad ways. I think that anybody who's interested in horses will love the book because I have lots of horse stuff in there. (laughs) Oh, there's lots of horse stuff. And I love the few little pages at the end of Wrangler's Challenge where you introduce the character in the next book. Now, I I can't wait to see what happens with her. (laughs) Right. Well, there's always something going on in my books. You know, no grass is going to grow under the feet of the uh, reader. That's for sure. (laughs) It's not boring. (laughs) When you start something like the Wind River series, do you do you have a plan on how many books are going to be in that series? 
No, and uh, I'll give you a, a parallel example of that. Back in 1990, I started a Morgan's Mercenaries. It ended up being 45 books long. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, well, I've written over 200 now. So, wow. for instance, like I just contracted for the next seven, eight, nine books for Kensington for this series, which I, I was thrilled pink about, you know, I'm going to be taking off a sort of a divergence uh, because of my firefighting background and also that I was a pilot. And oh my I, gosh. I already <laughs> talked to my, my editor about the idea of having a, a woman character who, who used to be a, a, a fighter pilot who is now flying, you know, the firefighting airplanes for the U.S. Forest Service and to bring her in. And she'll she'll be one of the adopted children of uh, Maud and and Steve Whitcomb who own the Wind River Ranch, right. because I I want to bring in I, I have friends who who have been adopted, and and they have a very interesting different path than I took in in my family. I'm going to be getting into the flying aspects, the danger and the fires and the people on the ground, the hot shots the smoke jumpers, and that will take place in Wind River Valley in uh, book uh, eight. Wow, very good. When you make a huge format like Wind River Valley series, it's it's a 100-mile-long valley by 50 miles wide. So there's lots of stories in there. <laughs> <laughs> lots of stories. When, when will book five be out, do you think? Uh, book five comes out in April of 2018. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and I think it's called The Llama. I think you have to pardon <laughs> me because I don't always, let's see. No, it's Lone Rider. It's Lone Rider. Yeah, it is April. Go. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the next one after that is Lawman. Yeah, book six is Lawman and Lone Rider, which comes out in April, is is uh, book five. You have to try and keep these things straight, and I don't always. <laughs> <laughs> We understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure you do. If you run a store, you know, you got, you got, you know, 20 different things up in the air that you're juggling to keep everything moving forward on. Well, you're just a whirlwind of activity anyway, all your writing. And then I understand that you recently had the trauma of a move. Talk about <laughs> post-traumatic stress. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I hate moving. And, you know, what's really funny is, is my father, who was a quarter Cherokee, Eastern Cherokee, you know, the, the Native American blood does interesting things to people. He, he moved us. We moved, uh, let's see, I moved 22 times in the first 18 years of my life in seven different Western states. And it was like every nine months he, he had to move us. So, you know, as a kid, you don't, it doesn't really bother you that much. But, you know, as I got to be uh, an adult and older, it's like I never wanted to move again. So, yeah, John, moving <laughs> is traumatic for me because it's like I never wanted to move again ever. You know, ever. You move so much. But we've done it, and it's coming along, and uh, so I'll stay here until the day I die. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful speaking with you again. We really applaud your efforts to bring awareness to veterans, to women, and to the problems that they face after serving our country. And we just really want to say thanks to you for, for sharing your information on the Woe Podcast today. Well, I appreciate the platform, and I hope I've, I've been a responsible recipient of it. And also to thank both of you for opening up the doors of Wool Podcast. 
in order that I can share this with you because uh, even though our military is only 1% of our population, there are doorkeepers, both the men and the women. They deserve everything, as far as I'm concerned, that we can do for them. And I appreciate what you've just done, John and Renee. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. And I love the dedication in Wrangler's Challenge. Oh, did you notice that, John? <laughs> I did notice that. He didn't. I noticed it. And I went back and I said, oh, my gosh, look what she did. <laughs> the listeners are going to have to buy a copy if they want to see it. And if they did want to get your books, Lindsay, where can people find your works? Well, if, if you're one of the ebook readers, all of the, the major platforms like Amazon and Google and Barnes and & Noble and Kobo, they can go online and get them anywhere. And, and they can get them at Walmart. They can get them at Sam's Club. They can get them at Costco. I know that if you live in the city, you, you do have real live brick and mortar bookstores. But <laughs> for the rest of us that live out in rural areas, we don't have bookstores. But you can find them in grocery stores. I mean, Safeway carries Kensington's books. So then they've got a long line of really, really great books. If you like Amish books, they've got a series on that. And I know there's a lot of readers that love Amish. But anyway, you can find Wrangler's Challenge just about anywhere. Even And Target carries it, you know, Kmart. Excellent. They're everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, they really are. (laughs) And and I'm grateful because most of my readers aren't from the city. They're, you know, they're rural people. And and they really appreciate the backdrop on which I, I paint my story. And I can guarantee you that I wouldn't want to be a writer who is a city person trying to write a ranching story if I didn't have the knowledge mm-hmm. because the readers will savage you <laughs> yeah. rightfully so don't do your homework oh well <laughs> but a lot of my readers are our country people and i do really love that because i'm one myself and i know you are too yes well it's been great fun is there anything you'd like to add before we go no i i had a lot of fun i hope your your listeners learned something and if they're going to buy the book that would be wonderful and i hope they enjoy it and i hope that they get a hold of me my email address is right there and you can you can tell me what you thought about it and i'm always open to ideas i'm always open to people who have horse experiences that i haven't now you know i've been run over i've been you know sunfished uh, i've been <laughs> fallen off, bucked off, uh, slammed into fences and stuff like that. But I'm always open to people who have <laughs> other experiences that I might put in a future book. So by all means, if you if you had an experience that you think would make a great scene in a book, get a hold of me, you know, and, and then I'll, I'll put a dedication in to you on that book and say it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice offer. <laughs> No, that's, that's generally what I do is with people that I work with and, and they give me information like that, I will very often dedicate the book to them because they've earned it. That's so sweet. <laughs> that is. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us on the World Podcast, Lindsay, and we hope you have a great day. Okay, thank you very much. Love you both and keep on trotting. <laughs> thank you. A pleasure speaking with you. Bye-bye, Renee. Lindsay's always such a fun interview, Renee, and she's led such an exciting life. Oh my gosh, she has done so many different things. It's pretty incredible. She's a great service to the people that are around her, and she's always been a big advocate for not only veterans, first responders, but she's also a champion of women and moving them. In general, yes. All right. We want to thank her again for joining us on the show, and that'll do it for this show. 
I'll have all the links to Lindsay McKenna and her latest book, Wrangler's Challenge, in the show notes at woepodcast.com. Use the Apple Podcast app to subscribe to the Woe Podcast and you'll never miss an episode. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. They're all free and they're all at woepodcast.com. And please visit woepodcast.com and sign up for our emails to stay up to date. Have a suggestion for a guest, a comment? Just email me at john at woepodcast.com. The Woe Podcast is produced by John and Renee Hare and support from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit woepodcast.com and click on the Patreon button. Thanks again for listening and sharing this podcast with your riding buddies. Until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. And she was gracious enough, and she was gracious enough to share some time with us. And she was gracious enough to shish, 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 shish. And we really appreciate her.